Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Matthew Whitaker, whenever Republican questions him, he goes off on these long, oh, the wonderful stuff we did in the Trump administration. I am such a good guy. And whenever a Democrat questions him, it's like, well, Congresswoman, you have five minutes, so I'm going to think very carefully before I answer your question. And Barbara Lee was having none of it. She got seriously PO'd. Anyhow, in the last two years of Barack Obama's presidency, uh, Mitch McConnell would not allow hearings or made hearings very difficult on federal judges. And in those last two years, only two federal judges were, you know, made it through the Senate. Obama appointees. Everybody else he appointed, you know, I think close to 100 federal judges or more than 100 federal judges, but only two of them ever had a hearing. And Merrick Garland never had a hearing. That was the Supreme Court. This is what this is what Mitch McConnell did yesterday. One day, Mitch McConnell pushed through 44 lifetime federal judges, all of them from the Federalist Society. So all of them hardcore right wing trolls who will be on our federal bench for the rest of their lives. Nobody is talking about this, and I find it shocking. And obviously, there's nothing we can do about it. This is just pure power politics, and Mitch McConnell doesn't give a rat's ass about democracy or what's best for the country. But this is amazing. And I got this email from uh, Team Trump. Dear Fred Flintstone, we have massive, that's in all caps, massive drugs flooding into our country. MS-13 gang members pouring through the weak spots on our border and terrorists threatening our national security. Democrats in Congress refuse to acknowledge the, all caps, crisis at our southern border simply because they want to harass, in caps, harass our great president. The fake news media, capital FNM, and Democrats want to call this a manufactured crisis, in quotes. But that is just a manufactured soundbite they worked on together to obstruct our agenda. If we ask the families of every American citizen who had lost a loved one due to illegal immigration, if this was a manufactured crisis, what do you think they'd say? Absolutely not, all caps. If Democrats refuse to work with the president, he will have no choice but to declare this a national emergency for the sake of our country. But... Before he takes this, all caps, critical decision, he wanted to get your input, Fred. Should President Trump declare a national emergency to build the wall? Click here. Take the poll now. 
and be directed to our webpage where you can make a donation. Right. That last part I added, but that's exactly what it is. So anyhow, just a heads up on what's going on. Ocean Robbins is on the line with us. He's the co-founder and CEO of the Food Revolution Network. He's the author of a brand new book. It's called The 31 Day Food Revolution, Heal Your Body, Feel Great, and Transform Your World. OceanRobbins.com is the website. You can also tweet him at Ocean Robbins. Uh, Ocean, welcome to the program. So glad to be with you, Tom. It's great having you with us. You are really an expert on food and, and how food affects us, how we get our food and the food system and all that sort of thing. The Lancet Commission, Lancet, the British Medical Journal, sort of their, the British version of the Journal of the American Medical Association, came out with an article that was funded, the research was funded by the Thompson Reuters Foundation. And what they concluded was that the three biggest threats to humanity right now, to the world population, are obesity, undernutrition, and climate change. Yeah. It seems to me that all three of these tie together into this bizarre system of producing food, transporting food, processing food, you know, delivering food in the United States and around the world for that matter. Absolutely. Most people would not think that obesity and malnutrition would go together, but they do. Statistically, as a human, the poorer you are, and frankly, the browner your skin is, the more likely you are to suffer from malnutrition or basic starvation in many parts of the world. But in the developed world, the more likely you are to suffer from obesity and the, the symptoms of the standard American diet, a diet high in processed foods and sugars and factory-farmed animal products. And the Global Institute of Health Metrics concluded that the American diet killed 678,000 Americans last year. But we are literally digging our own graves with our knives and forks. And it takes about 12 pounds of grain to produce one pound of feedlot beef in the United States today in our factory farming system. So the other 11 are essentially being wasted. Chicken and pork are a little bit more efficient, but you still use four or five pounds of feed to get one pound of flesh and the rest is being wasted. So we kind of have a protein factory in reverse. And what happens is that when we're eating all these calories from animal products, we're wasting so much food that could go to feeding the world's hungry. Right now, 83% of the world's agricultural land is being used in animal agriculture. So we could literally save 75% of that if, in theory, the whole world went vegan. An area of land equal to all of Europe, all of the United States, all of China, and all of Australia combined. That's how much Whoa. land we would save just by moving away from animal agriculture. Wow, and if we reclaimed that land and, and allowed it to turn back into forests and things, it would also reduce the CO2 in the atmosphere. I mean, that- Massively, in a huge way. You know, one of the central driving causes behind the destruction of the tropical rainforest is beef. A second driving cause is soy plantations. Guess where that soy's going? To beef. cattle. Yeah, and at the level of the individual, how is it that eating proteins and fats that are the, the consequence of slaughtering animals, that, that eating, eating those kinds of foods affect our bodies so differently than eating even a faux meat, you know, the phony chicken, phony beef products that you can buy from Loma Linda and companies like that, you know, the Seventh-day Adventists make it, or getting your protein and your fats and things from plant matter. How is it that cycling nutrients through animals and then eating those animals doesn't help our nutrition, instead hurts it, that it, that it promotes obesity and diabetes and all these other things. 
Well, there have been over 10,000 studies uh, published in peer-reviewed medical journals on the impacts of foods on human health. And, um, you know, we can cherry-pick studies that point in different directions, but the overwhelming body of evidence is really clear. We need to eat less sugar and less processed junk. We need to eat less animal products, especially when they come from factory farms. And we need to eat more whole plant foods. And when we do that, we don't just walk lighter on the earth. We don't just help stop climate change, we also make an incredible difference for our health. And I wrote 31 Day Food Revolution to really put the power in your hands to make the changes that we know can make such a difference. You know, a lot of people don't just struggle with knowing what to do, but with doing what we know. You know, if everyone just needed to know, hey, we need to eat more vegetables and less sugar and processed junk, we wouldn't have a healthcare crisis in America. But unfortunately, a lot of us are fundamentally addicted to a toxic food culture. And so I'm trying to help you break free so you can become the author of Your Food Life. And that's really why I wrote this book. That's great. The book is uh, 31 Day Food Revolution. We're talking with Ocean Robbins, uh, the CEO and co-founder of the Food Revolution Network. Ocean, so uh, you're saying that uh, somebody who says, I'm a vegan, uh, you know, I'm not going to eat these meat products because they're terrible for the earth, they're terrible for me. And then, you know, 50 or 70 percent of their diet is, you know, frozen vegan dinners and right. processed foods and, and, you know, donuts and stuff. Are they doing themselves any kind of a favor? Uh, they might be doing their planet a favor, but they're not doing themselves a favor. And there are a lot of people who have gone vegan and they think that just because they don't eat meat, they're like, you know, health heroes. But the reality is vegan donuts are still junk food. You know, Twinkies are vegan, I think, and there's certainly no health food. Neither is McDonald's French fries. And the reality is that it, it takes more than just avoiding animal products to be healthy. That's why you need to go towards a whole food, plant-powered diet with lots and lots of vegetables if you want to optimize. Yeah. You also want to learn to love the foods that love you back. You know, yeah. so it doesn't have to be some kind of martyrdom, you know? Yeah. I'm interested in pleasure, honestly. Yeah, and, no, I've, you know, yeah. well-done vegan food is spectacular. In fact, there are several restaurants now here in Portland that are just vegan, and it's amazing. Finally, we are a week away, a week and a half away from a possible another government shutdown. When we look back at the last government shutdown, how did that impact our food supply? It's a little scary. You know, our food supply is not exactly super safe to begin with. And particularly, I want to touch on the hazards of the factory farming system because, you know, chicken farmers are, they're not staying up all night trying to figure out how to torture chickens, but they want to stay in business. And in a competitive industry, what that means is that they've got birds packed in tiny, tiny amounts of space, about one square foot per bird. They get morbidly obese. They can't walk. They sit in their own excrement for their entire lives. No wonder more than 80% of our chicken is contaminated with pathogenic bacteria, most of which is also antibiotic resistant. Even under the best of circumstances, the food inspectors are watching birds whiz by at three per second. Most of these birds were sitting in their own poop all day long. It's not a pretty picture. Uh, but when you have a government shutdown, suddenly workers are furloughed or they are having to work without pay. And as we saw during the 35-day shutdown, uh, thankfully there were a couple of food recalls that happened even during that time. But there's no way there, that our food safety is getting the, the level of attention it deserves. So yeah. if you've ever thought about moving in a plant-based direction, 
then uh, and getting away from factory farms in particular, then anywhere around a shutdown, especially during and after a shutdown, is a particularly good time to move in that direction. Makes a lot of sense. Ocean Robbins, right. the new book is The 31-Day Food Revolution, Heal Your Body, Feel Great, and Transform Your World. Ocean, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much, Tom. Great talking with you. Always great talking with you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. And welcome back to the Tom Hartman University Book Club. Today we're reading from The Last Hours of Humanity, Warming the World to Extinction, a book about extinction. The climate scientists' warnings have come true. There is more carbon in our atmosphere, trapping heat and moisture, than ever before in the 165,000-year history of the human race. We are on the verge of the first ice-free summer in the Arctic in three million years. And back then, the Earth was a very different place from the one currently cradling us. The consequences of a warming planet are appearing much faster than had been projected by climate scientists of just a decade ago. The most dire warnings, rising oceans, freak storms, and agricultural collapse, they're all taking place right now. And it's going to get worse. But now other voices have entered the fray. Those of geologists who study the longer-term implications and histories of a planet undergoing rapid global warming. Specifically, they are focused on extinctions. The climate scientists, geologists, and those from related scientific disciplines need to continue talking to each other because at some point we may be able to see the critical moment in which the current climate crosses from the realm of a global destabilizer to a global extinction event. We must wake up. It's hard to imagine life without Earth. We take the vast variety of life on this planet and even our own existence for granted. But numerous times in our planet's history, life as we know it has come close to disappearing entirely. We call these events mass extinctions. And we even teach schoolchildren about those times of great death on our planet. For example, we know that long ago on a much more unstable planet, the dinosaurs were killed by an asteroid striking the Earth. This leads many people to believe that as long as we don't see an asteroid hurtling toward the planet, all is well. But this is not rational thinking for several reasons. The asteroid impact that killed the dinosaurs and started a major mass extinction is the only event having to do with outer space that we can trace with any certainty. And new science indicates that the asteroid impact itself wasn't what killed the dinosaurs. It was the global warming that followed it. New science has discovered a common theme in all of the extinctions in the past. And it's woven right into the global fabric of today as yet another mass extinction threatens our planet. That global consistent thread is global warming. We have had six extinctions in the billion-year history of life on our planet. Each sharp spike in the chart below indicates one of these mass extinctions. There's a chart on the page. Um, Occurring about 450 million years ago, the Ordovician-slash-Silurian mass extinction devastated marine life, which at the time dominated the planet. In a series of two extinctions, 60 and 70 percent of all life on the planet was taken, respectively. Then, fewer than 100 million years later, the planet was rocked again. The Denovian period was capped off by a 20-million-year death march. It killed off 70% of life on Earth. This included many coral reefs, which didn't return for another 100 million years. We know of the KT extinction, the Cretaceous-Tertiary extinction, which occurred 65 million years ago, ending the reign of the dinosaurs. There was also an extinction event 200 million years ago, known as the Triassic-Jurassic mass extinction. But none of these extinctions explains the huge spike 
shown in the center of the previous chart. That one happened 250 million years ago and was the worst mass extinction of species event in the history of our planet. It was the extinction of all extinctions, referred to as the Great Dying, the Permian Mass Extinction, took out at least 95% of all life on the planet in fewer than 100,000 years, an instant in geological time. Professor Paul Wignall of the University of Leeds and an expert on mass extinctions told me that the Permian was the greatest crisis that life on Earth has ever suffered. Only in the past two decades has the cause of the Permian extinction been understood. It was speculated that an asteroid impact may have been the trigger, but more recent research by Professor Wignall, geologists, and other scientists around the world have revealed the true trigger came from deep within the Earth. The Permian mass extinction was initiated by a colossal flow of lava in an area of what is now Siberia. That was the trigger, but not the killer. The killer was under the water and under the ice, where trillions of tons of greenhouse gases, largely derived from carbon and frozen in the form of crystalline methane, lay in wait. Thus, global warming is the force behind the death of nearly everything on the planet during the Permian mass extinction. That point is well illustrated. You can again see the spikes of mass extinctions measured by the increase in global temperatures, with the largest spike representing the Permian mass extinction. Wignall told me, there have been a lot of disasters and crises in the geological past. It's interesting to study them because they may have a comparison to today. He added, I think it is certainly extremely significant that a lot of the main crises of the past are associated with global warming, with obvious implications for the present day. The sixth mass extinction may even rival the speed and intensity of the Great Permian mass extinction, but the sixth is not represented on either of the two previous charts. That's because it's the one happening today, right now, all around us. And then we go on to document how the burning of fossil fuels is throwing an amount of carbon into the atmosphere, greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, that's relatively similar to what happened with that giant volcanic eruption in Siberia 250 million years ago with the Permian mass extinction, and how it could be leading to a major extinction event. The book is The Last Hours of Humanity, Warming the World to Extinction. Everyone's talking about the decline in stock values over the last few months. If you've been listening to Lynette Zhang's YouTube show, you probably aren't surprised by the fall. Her fact-based research on markets, currencies, and economics is second to none. And her presentations have pointed to most every major downfall we've recently seen in the U.S. economy. Her video titled Just Before the Crash showed people the exact patterns to look out for and now has over 210,000 views and counting. Lynette Zhang has been on my show and works with my friends at ITM Trading. I highly recommend looking them up, as they are pioneers in creating wealth protection strategies with gold and silver. If you're a strategic investor looking to protect your wealth or just hedge against the most volatile markets since 2007, then call my friends at ITM Trading at one 888 gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and join the top 1% who are now accumulating very specific types, dates, and qualities of physical gold and silver. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. Hey, time for a geeky science for you. There we go. There's our geeky science music. First, the Little Ice Age. It was in the 1600s. And the world got so cold that the rivers in London, the Thames froze over, that crops failed, that the colony that was on Greenland could no longer live there because they got wiped out by snow. And nobody ever knew what caused this. 
right? Why was it that for about a 60, 70, 80 year period, we had this period of unusual cold? Well, they've, they've looked at the ice bubbles in Antarctica and discovered that the levels of CO2 in the atmosphere actually went down during this century, essentially, the 1600s. So why did the CO2 go down? It turns out that apparently the CO2 levels went down because all across North and South America, fields that had previously been cultivated had fallen fallow. Farms, literally farms, millions of acres of agricultural stuff, you know, people growing crops, were turned into forests and jungles. How did that happen? Genocide. White Europeans came to North America and killed an estimated 50 million Native Americans, many of them by, by guns and, and bullets, many of them by disease. But it was the worst genocide in the history of the world. And when those people died off, they were no longer tending to their farms, and their farmland went back to being forest and jungle, and forests and jungles sequester carbon. So it was sucking carbon out of the atmosphere for 100 years. It's amazing. And that's the story number one. Story number two is kind of cool. Avi Loeb is the uh, chairman of the astronomy department at Harvard University. There is an object that came flying by our sun, flying by our planet, and is now way out where Jupiter is. It's called Oumuamua. And this professor says, you know, this thing is going faster than anything could. Right, originally they thought it must have been ejected from a star that had broken or something like that because it's going so fast. But the weird part is after it passed our sun, it's speeded up. There's no object, no normal object that should be traveling that fast as it's going flying out of our solar system right now. He says what it is is a light sail. It's a mile wide and only a millimeter thick and it's being pushed by the sunlight. And therefore, it has to have come from another civilization. He says it's probably a fragment of an old ship. It might be a ship itself that's working as a light sail. Comes right out and says it. He says that this could be an extraterrestrial spacecraft or a piece of one. It's moving so fast past the sun, it could only have come from another star. It's moving too fast for a rock, Loeb points out. This is from a piece in the Washington Post about this by Avi Selleck. Loeb points out, zooming away from the sun is as if something is pushing it from behind. And if it's a comet, uh, there's no signs of that. So an object that's very long, no more than one millimeter thick, perhaps like a kilometer long obloid pancake, a ship's sail so thin and light that sunlight is pushing it out of our solar system. So we got that. And then finally, the bulldozers arrived or are soon to arrive at the National Butterfly Center down in Texas. They are going to destroy America's National Butterfly Center, this huge butterfly wildlife habitat on the border in order to build Donald Trump's wall. Aren't we excited? Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's up? Our national consciousness is in a state of emergency. It's okay. as mercurial as the weather. Do you realize, Tom, that Chicago had a 71 degree swing in temperature in less than a week. All right. And, was, and Chicago was colder than negative. the North Pole. Can you imagine this, Tom? You and I both grew up in Michigan at the same time. When we were kids, almost every day, and certainly on the weekends, our families, or my family, we went ice skating on the frozen lakes, the little lakes that were, you know, around the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. 
Those lakes haven't frozen solid enough to skate on in three or four decades. Wow. I mean, really, since, since I was probably, well, the ice was getting lousy when I was probably in my 20s. And now, but they have temperatures that swing down into the negatives, but the lakes don't freeze it. No, but there's nowhere to skate anymore. Yeah, I had and friends who used to go ice fishing, and apparently that's all gone to hell, too. When we were kids, a normal winter day was 20s to 30s, maybe a high, possibly a high of 35, but mm-hmm. it was consistent. We yeah. didn't have these wild swings. Can you imagine if it was a normal day when we were young, 20, 25 degrees, and a 71-degree swing made it in 91 degrees Yeah, yeah. in a week? That yeah. would be crazy. But see, this is our national consciousness, but what we're being told is this is normal. Yeah. This is normal for our, to, this mercurialism is normal. Yeah, and it's, and it's not. It's fascinating to hear, you know, a couple of old farts here. Back when I was young, Paul, you know. It, but, but you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I think that all of us old enough to remember how different not only, you know, American politics and everything else were, you know, 40, 50 years ago, but how different the weather was need to be teaching the younger generation about that. Paul, well said. Thank you. Terry in Kansas City, Missouri. Hey, Terry, what's on your mind? Hello, Tom. I'm very concerned about how we are destroying and putting the nature inside of us. I'm referring to how George Lakoff referenced or described our environment. I think that should be one of the key topics that should be discussed in our State of the Union tonight. But, of course, Trump, the tumultuous, tyrannical titular president, will never do so. So I'm very concerned every time I hear about Trump, ignore the advice of the experts and how we need to protect our environment and therefore protect homo sapiens species, human beings. I'm very concerned about this. And to that point, I think some noted experts said that we should not refer to it as global warming. Global warming is just one aspect of many more complex phenomenon because it sounds too benign. We should refer to it as what experts said as a global climate breakdown or global climate collapse. Yeah. And I think, and I know you've studied the human psyche, that these oligarchs, they seem to get the impression that their money, their massive wealth is going to somehow make them exempt from global climate breakdown, but I think once they realize that we are in this together, that no one is going to be exempt, regardless of your balance sheet or the amount of money you have in your bank account, that you at some point have got to start protecting the nature inside of us. Yeah, so I'm I with you. That should be one of the most important points to be discussed in the Union, but the attention of the president will not do that, of course. Yep, yep. Spot on, Terry. Thanks a lot. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Defending America from the weapons of mass deception. Tom Hartman here with you. So would you like to watch the Tom Hartman program? All three hours of our program, anytime you'd like. Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Tom Hartman, T-H-O-M-H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, all run together. When you become a supporter of the program through Patreon, you have access to the full three-hour show anytime you want and special content that we put up every single week that is unique specifically to our Patreon page. So check it out, patreon.com slash Tom Hartman. Thank you. Our book today is The 31-Day Food Revolution, Heal Your Body, Feel Great, and Transform Your World by Ocean Robbins, with a foreword by Joel Furman, MD. This is from the introduction. Let me call it like it is. We live in a toxic food culture. It's led us to epidemic rates of obesity, heart disease, cancer, type 2 diabetes, and Alzheimer's. 
Things have gotten so bad that most people think it's normal to have at least a few extra pounds around the middle, to depend on an ever-growing supply of prescription medications, and to lose a little more memory and mobility with every passing year. This may be typical, but it sure as heck doesn't have to be normal. Eating food is mandatory, but suffering from brain fog, living with ever-declining health, and feeling like crap are not. The fact is that right now, hundreds of millions of people are hurting from diseases that never, ever needed to happen in the first place. Dangerous changes have been made to our food supply in just the last 25 years that impact how your food is grown and processed and how safe it is to eat. The status quo is driving small farmers out of business, forcing animals to live in deplorable conditions, and producing food that's making us sick. The medical industry and the processed food industry are earning trillions of dollars in a system that's devastating lives and threatening the very future of life on our planet. It's my mission to help put an end to this madness by sharing the truth about food and helping eaters put it into action. That's, where I found, that's why I founded the 500,000 plus member Food Revolution Network. And it's why I wrote the book you now hold in your hands. In some ways, I might seem like a pretty unlikely food revolutionary. After all, in 1953, my grandfather, Irving Robbins, joined with his brother-in-law, Bert Baskin, to found the 31 Flavors Ice Cream Company, Baskin Robbins. My grandfather was a consummate entrepreneur, and he set his heart on offering consumers many more options, 31 to be exact, one for each day of the month. My dad, John, grew up with an ice cream cone-shaped swimming pool. Sometimes he even ate ice cream for breakfast. He was groomed from early childhood to one day run the family company. My dad's youthful innovations included Jamocha Almond Fudge, one of our company's most iconic flavors to this day, and the rollout to all the stores of the famous Pink Spoons that enabled customers to enjoy free samples. But in 1967, my grandpa's brother-in-law and business partner, Bert Baskin, became very ill. His doctors informed him he was dying of heart disease. I never knew my great-uncle Bert because he passed on a short time later, six years before I was born. But I do know that he was one of the greatest entrepreneurs in American history. He had tremendous wealth, a business he enjoyed, and a family he loved. And he ate a lot of ice cream. And in the end, he lost his life and his health at the age of 54. Grandpa Irv was faced with a choice. He could sell the company for a large sum of money, or he could keep the company in the business and take on my dad, then about to turn 20, as a business partner. Grandpa Irv chose to invite his son aboard. But my dad declined his father's invitation, walking away from Baskin-Robbins and from any access to or dependence on the family wealth. For him, it was a choice for integrity, and it's a choice I've always respected. My dad had seen ice cream bring smiles to a lot of people, but he also knew that unhealthy foods could fuel devastating consequences, and he didn't want to spend his life selling a product that might contribute to more people suffering and dying before their time. So he left a path that was practically paved with gold and ice cream to follow his own rocky road. My dad had suffered from polio as a child and grew up frequently fatigued and ill. In the 1960s, he fell in love with my mom in Berkeley, and the two of them set out on a healthy living path. They stopped eating processed foods, they gave up ice cream, and they based their diets on vegetables and whole natural foods. As my dad's health and energy returned, he and my mom moved to a remote little island off the coast of British Columbia, Canada, where they built a one-room log cabin, grew most of their own food, practiced yoga and meditation for several hours a day, and named their kid Ocean. They say that, um, that they almost named me Kale. I'm glad they took the more conservative route on this one. In any case, we did eat a lot of kale, along with cabbage, carrots, onions, broccoli, turnips, Swiss chard, and many other vegetables that my parents grew, plus brown rice, sprouts, buckwheat, and beans. For a treat, once in a blue moon, we'd have a few drops of organic blackstrap molasses. 
I think we went through about a bottle a year. Though my childhood diet was Spartan and my family lived on very little money, I grew up feeling rich in health. I became an accomplished distance runner, completing my first marathon at the age of 10. My dad went on to study the impact of food choices and to share what he was learning. His landmark bestsellers, including Diet for New America, inspired millions of people and helped to galvanize the modern health food movement. The media was tickled by the notion of a would-be ice cream heir becoming a healthy eating spokesperson and called him the rebel without a cone and the prophet of nonprofit. Tens of thousands of people wrote my dad letters, often by hand, sharing how his work had changed, sometimes even saved their lives. One of the lives his work impacted, as fate would have it, was that of my own grandpa, Irv. Now, my grandpa had been pretty mad with my dad walked away from the ice cream company. He and my dad went years without speaking. But then something remarkable happened. In 1989, Grandpa Irv, then in his early 70s, was suffering from diabetes, heart disease, and weight problems. He'd always eaten the modern diet with a double scoop of ice cream on top. His cardiologist told him he didn't have long to live unless he changed his diet. And then the good doctor handed him a copy of my dad's book, the book 31 Day Food Revolution by Ocean Robbins. Don't you just love it when something that's already amazing gets better? Well, that's the case with the X-Chair. The makers have taken what is arguably the most comfortable and supportive office chair in the world and made it even better by introducing wider seats in the X3 and X4 models of the X-Chair. That means extra support for those of us with wider bases. The good people at X-Chair are constantly innovating to help improve your working comfort and productivity. And now you can finance the purchase of your X-Chair for as little as $30 a month. Seriously, for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee, you can make 2019 your most comfortable and productive year ever by getting yourself an X-Chair. X-Chair is on sale now for $100 off. Just go to xchairtom.com, that's xchairtom.com, or call 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair comes with a 30-day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, and get a free footrest. That's xchairtom.com. This Green New Deal that is dropping, I mean, this literally, to call it a New Deal is not an exaggeration. We're talking about a massive, extraordinary program. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying, let's reboot the economy and save the world at the same time. This will strengthen the American working class. It'll strengthen the American middle class. It will reduce our carbon emissions. It will put people back to work in jobs that actually pay something more than a Starbucks barista. Let's do this. 2018 was one of the hottest years on record. The last five years have been the five hottest years in the history of planet Earth. And it's not cooling down given all the hundreds of billions of tons of carbon dioxide that we have poured into the atmosphere as a result of burning fossil fuels since the 1900s. In just you know, roughly 150 years, we have wrecked our planet's atmosphere with our industrial activity. This is this flashing red light. Wildfires scorched one and a half million acres just in California. Extended droughts across Europe. Glaciers at the North and South Poles. And on, you know, now this big glacier in the Himalayas is melting, which is going to cause famine in India and in China a, a decade or two down the road when it finally dries up and there's no more rivers there. We have stronger hurricanes, the polar vortex, recurring high tide flooding. 
longer wildfire seasons, more rain during heavy downpours. Climate change in 2018, last year, cost the United States $91 billion. Trump wants $5 billion to build a wall. It cost us 91, climate change cost us $91 billion and killed 247 people that we can quantify, that we can point to and say, yep, this is the case. And so we have now Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying, let's have a Green New Deal. Let's achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions. Net zero. Let's have a universal health care program, a jobs guarantee, and free higher education. These are literally parts of her New Green Deal. She has 60 members of the House and nine senators co-sponsoring this resolution. It's only six pages long. This is not the law. This is, not, this, is, this is the outline. This is the framework. One of its goals, this is, I'm quoting from the document, from the, from the legislation that uh, AOC is, is dropping, quote, to promote justice and equity by stopping current, preventing future, and repairing historic oppression of indigenous peoples, communities of color, migrant communities, deindustrialized communities, depopulated rural communities, the poor, low-income workers, women, the elderly, the unhoused, people with disabilities, and youth. And how are we going to do this? We're going to convert America's energy systems to solar, wind, and whatever other sources of energy may be appropriate on the coasts, presumably, you know, tide, tidal weather in some parts of the country, geothermal, in other parts, you know, particularly around big cities, maybe even uh, biomass uh, with all the waste that we produce. But we could do this. We absolutely could do this. Norway's halfway there. We can do this. Tom Harmon program. Jeff in San Francisco, listening on AM 910. Hey, Jeff, what's up? Really, I, I bother you all the time about public, public banking, and I think that's how we could fund the Green New Deal. I agree. In fact, you know, there's tons of money there, and I read Ellen Brown's book. She says people from outer space come down here and they say plants melting. Well, why didn't you guys fix this? And he says, well, there's this little green pieces of paper we didn't have, you know, right. money, you know. So I'm part of, went to Board of Supervisors on um, Tuesday, and we're pushing for a public bank in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And we could be the first one. And You'd uh, be the second one. Know, South Dakota's had one, or North Dakota well, has had one since city, 1909. You know. Yeah, okay, first and, city. You yeah. know, I remember the, the seven words of failure I learned in uh, econ. It was, it's never been done that way before. You right. know, and, you know, the city's had a public bank. But we have tons of money. I mean... The fact that you could pull money out of your own home in equity, in a form of equity, you know, we have so much thing, many things paid for in San Francisco. So it's, you know, it's just using our resources in the correct way. Well, you don't even need to borrow against your resources, Jeff. You, no, you, you, I, I know, mean, I the know. banks just skim a small percentage off all the money that goes through. And San Francisco is probably running hundreds of, you know, over the course of a decade, probably hundreds of billions of dollars through the, through the New York banks right now. It's crazy. Oh, of course, of course. I think there's eleven. You know, just in the 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 fund, there's like eleven billion as far as in the pension funds. Right. And they they then they could loan that out at nine times the amount. That that's what the banks do. Yeah. And, and there you've got a hundred uh, billion I mean, dollars that the city can 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 work with. Yeah. So I mean, it's. I just wish they they she, she would because uh, she was uh, big uh, with Trinity Trend in L.A. to start a public bank there. So, I mean, I do have a lot of hope there. I mean, I yeah. I, I just watched her on a video, and she, and she put a... On the, the her you're talking about is Ellen Brown? 
No, uh, Ali, AOC. Oh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, okay. And she was, uh, you know, grilling some of these people about how the whole system is destroyed, how, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you can go in there and you could pass legislation as a congressperson for stock that you own. I mean, it was just brilliant how she yeah. put these No, people, this woman is you know. wicked smart. I mean, uh, Alexandria wow. Ocasio-Cortez, if she could run... If she could run for president, I would be out there campaigning for her right now. I mean, this well, woman that, is wicked I, I, smart. I think five years she's going to be there. I do. I don't care. I, I agree. I, I think I, she's going to be our first Hispanic president. Yeah, and, and woman, and I think she's going to. She's she, her ideas are just you know she's going to build the momentum. So yeah. I well, we may have a woman president <laughs> before then, but we'll see. Jeff, I, I need to move along, but thank you for your call. Yes, spot on. Public banking, good stuff. Tim in Mesick, Michigan. Hey, Tim, what's up? Hey. Tom, Tim here. I'm a retired 57-year-old machinist, okay. and I've got a very serious story to tell you about the tax benefits of all the jobs created. But before I get to that, I love Elizabeth Warren. I love Bernie, but that AOC, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I wish she had, like, six years under her belt and was old enough to run. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, Louise and I were talking about that walking into work this morning, and she's like, she should be president. And I'm like, yeah. She does need, uh, I mean, A, the Constitution says you got to be 35 to be president, although Louise pointed out she could she could still, I think, run for vice president. Um, but uh, but then if the president left, she couldn't serve because she's not 35. Uh, or That's my understanding of it. But I think, you know, having six years of, of legislation under her belt will make her a more, uh, you know, well-informed, well-rounded, although there's no doubt in my mind that she's already well-informed and well-rounded. But anyhow, back to you, Tim. Like any trade, she needs some seasoning. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, now, as far as that uh, thing about Elizabeth Warren, run, Elizabeth. You got my full support, just like Bernie had. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. The thing is, and and if uh, Trump brings that up, if he's not in jail, okay, really? Uh, well, let me tell you something there. I believed my parents when they told me because they were hardworking, honorable people. Hair Drump, you don't even have the last name that you were born with. Yeah. So don't talk to me when your grandfather was marching in Ku Klux Klan uh, rallies in New York City. Well, and she might have claimed to be an Indian when she's not. He claimed to be a billionaire when he's not. Yeah. <laughs> you know? well, but you wanted to talk about, you had a union busting story, Tim. There's a lot of other people who want to get in here. I, I, I want to you know, wrap this up. Uh, what did you want to say about union busting and tax breaks? Yeah, I'm retired, and I've worked at newspapers, and I just got a very disturbing call. A friend of mine from the place I retired from, got busted down from a foreman, and he was a damn good journeyman, a good foreman, and one of the journeymen retired, and rather than hire another journeyman, the paper decided, well, we'll bust this guy down from jobs because all these businesses saving money on taxes are going to hire people. Well, I'm here to tell you right now, I, I just heard firsthand how well that plan has worked out, and I am mad. Yeah. I am mad as hell. Yeah, it was it, it was a uh, crime, really, the uh, GOP tax scam. What it produced was $1 trillion in stock buybacks, which are simply ways of manipulating the stock market or a individual stock's price that were illegal before the Reagan presidency. 
it was illegal to manipulate your stock's price by buying back shares prior to the 1980s. And Reagan changed all that. And uh, so Trump says, hey, we're going to borrow a trillion and a half dollars, enough to wipe out all the student debt in America. We're going to borrow that money and we're going to give it to the billionaires. And then for people like, like, like you, Tim, and your friends who work in the machine shop, if you were able to deduct a uniform expense, this is particularly for police officers and, and firefighters, they used to be able to deduct the cost of their uniforms. They used to be able to deduct the dry cleaning bills. They used to be able to deduct the cost of their, you know, their, their gun and their ammunition belt and stuff like that if it wasn't provided by these by the force. Um, you know, uh, truck drivers, there were, you know, basic expenses having to do with your work, you used to be able to deduct. And the Republicans did away with all of those deductions. And right now, millions of Americans, as they're doing their taxes, are discovering how badly the Republicans screwed them, how badly Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan and Mike Pence screwed them. And they're serious pissed off too. So Tim, I'm, I'm with you. And, uh, and hopefully we'll see this show up in the ballot box. Tim, thanks a lot for the call and for sharing your story. Ronnie in Mesquite, Nevada. Hey, Ronnie, what's up? Hey, Tom. First, I want to just say thank you for the work that you do. I, I so appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, I was born in 1949 and I, you know, I see what's going on today and it. And I, I pretty much feel hundred percent like you do. And I'm, I'm not only sad and I remember I was in junior high school when Kennedy was running for president and became president. And you know, there was a time when our country was on fire with excitement and when people loved our president. And when all the comedians made jokes about our president, they were loving jokes that made you love. Yeah, Vaughn Meter and JFK. More. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was great. And, and we were going somewhere. And, and, and then came Vietnam. You know, yeah, then came Vietnam, and everything went downhill. It's been downhill all ever since then. And I feel like so many people have grown up not knowing what it, what it was like, what it could be like when we're going to go to the moon, when, you know, then Cassius Clay was going to beat the, you know, the, the baddest man in the planet and did it. And all these things were happening. And then, you know, after Kennedy got assassinated, it continued a little bit because the Beatles hit. And then there was a couple of years when, you know, the love thing was happening. But since then, it's all been downhill. And I just, it's just a comment. I just feel bad that kids today can't experience a country that they can love their president. I have a feeling at the very most within five years and probably, or six years, I guess, and probably within two years, kids are going to have somebody that they can look up to. And, and respect and love and you're going to have a government that starts working again. We are going to flush the corruption and evil of these these billionaire-owned Republicans out of our body politic. I can feel it, Ronnie. I am, you know, I'm very hopeful for this. Ronnie, thank you for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And I think you're seeing the beginning of that process, you know, when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez goes on TV and just basically shuts down Chuck Toad. I mean, that was so cool. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You are being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile and internet provider now that the Republicans have destroyed net neutrality. That's why I decided to take back my privacy by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background on my computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. 
ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Tom. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN.com slash T-H-O-M for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Tom to learn more. Oh, by the way, in the chat room, somebody asked a question. Uh, the question was, will AOC's endorsement hold weight in the primaries? This is from Pop Reality. Will AOC's endorsement hold weight in the primaries? Yes. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has become a force in the Democratic Party. In many ways, she is leading the Democratic Party. I'm telling you, this woman is going far. She is smart as a whip. She understands what she's talking. I, I, she's the first Democratic politician of any consequence that I know of who actually understands modern monetary theory. It's not just that she's good. She's great. So we'll see. We'll see where it goes. But yes, I believe that that's the case. By the way, another big news thing that happened that I wanted to share with you, and then I'll pick up your phone calls. The Met Office, which is the National Weather Service for the United Kingdom, they call it the Met Office. You will recall that the IPCC, every five years for a couple of decades now, has been saying, at all costs, we have to prevent the atmosphere from warming more than one and a half degrees Celsius. About three degrees Fahrenheit, to a little less than three degrees Fahrenheit. If we don't do that. If we fail to stop it at one and a half degrees, if it goes past one and a half degrees, then you're going to start seeing permafrost melt. You're going to start seeing methane clathrates melt. You're going to see an explosion of methane in the atmosphere. A positive feedback loop will be triggered that can't be stopped. And within a few decades, perhaps, or a century at the most, you know, life on Earth is going to be a very different place and civilization will probably be over. Right? This, this is the warning of the IPCC. We've got to prevent this from happening in 2100, which is like 80 years from now, 80 plus years from now. Well, the Met Office just came out and said, we think we're going to hit 1.5 degrees, at least on a transient basis, intermittently. We're going to hit 1.5 degrees in five years. This stuff is moving a hell of a lot faster than anybody thought. John, watching Free Speech TV in Cumberland, Maryland. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Hey, how are you today, Tom? I am great, but I'll get better. How about you? By the, by the way, that moniker is brilliant, Chuck Toad. Oh, you know, I watch you know that Wallace every afternoon. I love her. Yeah. And as soon as Toad comes on, I change the channel. Yeah, I'm not gonna. So, I'm uh, not. I'm not gonna say that again. I. I. Uh, I, I disagree with the idea of making fun of people's names and 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 stuff like that. And and I just. It just came out. <laughs> you know, like, right, well, forgive I'm, me for picking up on it. I'm sorry. What, I, what I've called about is, is that uh, you know I'm a, I'm a progressive Democrat. Um, I was born in 1950. Um, I am an advocate of of uh, you know a, a democratic socialism. Um, but we progressives need to adopt a view of what I call realpolitik in the 2020 elections. We don't need to nominate a lightning rod candidate that will turn out a red wave of Republicans. You know, Obama proved that a savior for president becomes powerless, you know, once he can't govern, you know, because, because there's been a big turnout and the Republicans, like, fill up those seats in Congress, you know, with people who won't budge. So I'm going to recommend something that, that may sound, you know, a little off, 
and you can think about it, and maybe your viewers can think about it, but I think our ideal candidate for president would probably be a ticket that looks like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris or Beto and Kamala, because neither one of these guys, neither, none of those candidates are going to be called socialists. They seem to have clean backgrounds. Unfortunately, Elizabeth Warren is cooked. You know, when they found that, that uh, application of hers, you know, where she put down that, that she was Native American, you know, that's not going away. She's, she has been smeared. And then, you know, you've got people like uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, you know, like who they're going to call a flip-flopper. It just goes on and on and on. So mm-hmm. if you don't take a realpolitik view about our presidential candidate and work on the Congress, then we're going to have a situation, even if we get into the White House, we're not going to be able to govern. Yeah, I, I think that, speaking of, of baggage, I think Joe Biden has every bit as much baggage, in fact, a hell of a lot more baggage than Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, the Native American thing, that is going to be a tough one for her to climb over, but I think, you know, she could. But Joe Biden, I mean, you know, his he was the guy who badgered Anita Hill in those hearings. He's the guy who, if he didn't write it, co-sponsored the bankruptcy bill that made it illegal for young people to discharge their student loans in bankruptcy. Joe Biden's got some serious problems that he's got to confront. And Yeah, I, I'm sorry, I wasn't aware of those things in his past. Yeah. But I just know that, like, seems like a good-hearted guy. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. that's what he appears I, I, to be. I think you might be right about Beto, but then, you know, there's a lot of people who are looking at Beto with his, I'm traveling around the country, I'm kind of in a funk, I don't know what I'm doing. And it seems like, okay, we've got a young guy here who's still trying to figure out who he is and what the world is, and, and uh, this guy's not ready to be president. I mean, that's... That's very much the sense that I've gotten from reading a few profiles of him recently. And then you combine that with the fact that when he was in Congress, the six years he was in Congress, he refused to be part of the progressive coalition. He was, uh, you know, right there with Joe Biden, I guess you could say. And I I just don't think think that that's going to turn out the Democratic base. I mean, maybe putting Kamala Harris on that ticket or putting her at the top of the ticket would do it. But but Kamala Harris herself has some problems, you know, with her criminal justice background, although she's done a very, very good job of speaking to that and pushing back on it. But the, at, the, at the end of the day, John, it's going to be up to the Democratic electorate. And I'm not telling people how to vote. I'm just trying to lay out what's going on. John, thank you for the call. Hey, if you'd like more of our program, more of the where we really dig into stuff, the deep dives. They're available to people who are supporters of our program. And we put these up every week, brand new ones, and and there's a lot of great content there. For example, our climate change, our most recent climate change one, talks about how the industrial processes that we've been engaging in over the years, from 1955 to 2010, just that one period where we can measure how much heat we threw into the atmosphere, 93% of that heat was absorbed by the oceans. If it hadn't been absorbed by the oceans, the atmosphere right now would be 97 degrees warmer. The oceans are literally keeping us alive and saving us, and yet all that heat is also killing life in the oceans. Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash Tom Hartman, T-H-O-M-H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, all run together. When you become a supporter of the program through Patreon, you have access to the full three-hour show anytime you want, and special content that we put up every single week that is unique specifically to our Patreon page. So check it out, patreon.com slash Tom Hartman. Thank you. What's going on in the world today? This report brought to you by Goats for the Old Goat.com and loving what you do, Ellen Ratner's new book. Hey, Luke, 
I'm glad to be with you. Great to have you. So what's going on in the world today? Well, I was going to focus on Khashoggi for a minute, and now I'm looking at some of the other stories I want to talk about. So I'll keep it really brief. The okay. White House has evidently ignored a request from the Senate, from a bipartisan group of senators, including Bob Corker and Bob Menendez, who demanded that by today the White House start another investigation, in particular into exactly which people within the Crown Prince's inner circle may have been responsible for the murder of the journalist as a way of trying to figure out if sanctions needed to be expanded against targeted sanctions against those people. And the White House, in, I guess, a statement that's been communicated to the Senate, has said, we respect your request, which senators think is a legal demand, not just a polite request, but they are going to ignore it, citing instead that they will continue to the best of their ability to brief Congress on the latest American intelligence, but they don't want to actually do what these bipartisan members are asking for. And bear in mind, you've had legislation introduced in the Senate that would actually force the government to, so they would actually put some legal muscle behind this demand. I think the support for that will increase in the coming hours as it seems now, like Jeff, the White Jeff House is Bezos seems to, to be seriously. Jeff yeah. Bezos seems to be implying that Saudi Arabia might be who hacked his cell phone to share that information with the National Enquirer so that Mr. Pecker could try to blackmail him. Do you interpret that that way? And do you think that that might be the thing that will break this open? The folks that I follow in that field have been trying to apply the brakes on that story before we know more. I mean, that doesn't yeah. mean it's not a possibility. I think, though, it's, you know, the conclusions of Bezos's private investigation need to be reviewed, I think. And, you know, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, it it just sounds reasonable. I note here that I just got your email. Yeah. A top Australian court has blocked a new coal mine because it's going to worsen climate change. Now, there's this woman. I'm not sure I ever knew her name, but there's this woman who's the richest woman in Australia, and she is the heir to a mining fortune, including coal mining. And she has played a huge role. I mean, she's kind of the Koch brothers of Australia, a huge role in supporting right wing politicians and fighting any efforts to stop climate change in Australia. Is this a refutation of her? Well, this is a great ruling. I wasn't aware of the, the one you're talking about. I mean, there has been concerns in repeated Australian governments in the past few years that they uh, signed up for things in Paris that the you know governments don't actually want to implement. This is a step in a very different direction. This is an open pit coal mine that was going to be built in New South Wales. There was basically a community-level, nonprofit legal center called the Environmental Defenders Office for New South Wales that stepped in here and filed petitions on behalf of people in the town where this was going to be built and said, you've got to stop this. And the Land and Environmental Court of New South Wales, and I guess this cannot be appealed, which is good news, has said this cannot be built. And what's really historic here, and I'm starting to do some interviews to try and get sort of a broader perspective on this, but it sounds like one argument that the judge made has been used before and is not quite as revelatory, which is that this is the wrong place for such a project, that this open pit mine is in a scenic area, you know, close to homes and farms. It's going to have a social impact. But the other one is it's the wrong time. And I'm going to quote here. He says, it's the wrong time to build this because greenhouse gas emissions of the coal mine and its coal product will increase global total concentrations of greenhouse gases at a time when it is urgently needed in order to meet generally agreed climate targets. A rapid decrease in greenhouse gas emissions is, is needed here, basically. And on those grounds, this project needs to be refused. That's historic uh, because yep. nobody is predicting, you know, you can move the pit amount, you can move the mines elsewhere, right, in the in probably put it out in the desert where nobody's home is going to be covered in dust because of it. But, you know, 
is there going to be a time in the foreseeable future when the situation's different? Probably not. And really key also to what the judge is saying here is he rejected an appeal by the coal mine company, the operator, that basically, hey, this isn't really a coal mine because we're buying all these carbon offsets and going to do some reforestation. He says you cannot basically claim to offset a known contributor to global warming and then right. offset it with a hypothetical alternative. And right. that, you know, this, this we, lipstick we ain't no helping that pick. you going to do this. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. So Finland has yeah. uh, done a two-year experiment nationwide with the universal basic income. What happened? They found, and there's two more years to go, they picked 2,000 people from their mid-20s to their mid-50s, gave them about 560 euros a month with no questions asked, and compared them to people who are receiving unemployment benefits. The big argument, you know, that people have used against this is it's going to reduce the incentive to work if you just get this money. Turns out the finding after two years, there's been zero impact on employment. The thinking that suddenly people are going to, you know, accept a new job without fear of losing unemployment or encourage risk-taking or possibly entrepreneurship. That hasn't really come to fruition yet, but you haven't seen any of the downsides. And actually, the upsides here are huge on the social side. People are less stressed, they're healthier, more confident in the future. And if any of your listeners are interested in a great new book on this, go to Amazon and get The Inner Level by uh, Richard Wilkinson, Kate Pickett. They're looking yep. at how equal societies reduce stress. I think it all ties into this great, great early results from Finland on the UBI. Yeah. In fact, we had Kate Pickett on the program a couple of weeks oh, ago. Their yeah, previous, I knew you'd be interested. Yeah. In that, their so. previous book, <laughs> The Spirit Level, is brilliant. And the book exactly. before that, Why yeah. Inequality Matters, they have done some just amazing work. Luke Vargas, Chief Foreign Correspondent for Talk Media News. Search Luke Vargas for his podcast. Thanks, Luke. Thank you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Fair and only slightly unbalanced. Tom Hartman here with you, speaking the truth to the multinational corporations. Really around that you didn't know about. James in Spokane. Hey, James, what's up? About the billionaires, we are to them perennial working class. You're familiar with the term blackguard? It's the lowest, the lowest classification of household staff. They're responsible for the pots and pans. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. Yeah, the, the chamber pots and the bed pans. That's what we are to them. Ah, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right, James. You're absolutely right. Thank you very much for the call. Thanks for working with me in my 15 seconds there. Thanks, thanks to you for being with us today, um, listening, watching, whatever it may be. Thanks so much. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It's something we all have to work on. So get out there, get active, tag, you're in. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.